Young women have been growing up with an indoctrination of what womanhood is and what it should be. They've been taught everything that is in direct opposition to the Word of God. Young women who want to be different from the world are rare, but they are real. On this Rare But Real podcast, Audrey Brogy will often be joined by her daughter, Grace Anna, and her daughters-in-law, Maureen, Kesset, and Marilyn, who desire to be discerning in a day when everything seems to go against God's design. Join them in the journey of becoming rare but real. It takes courage and conviction. And now, Audrey Brogy. Well, this is session three, and um, I've called it many titles over the years. Um, My very first title for this uh, particular session was Enjoying Your Children When the Rest of the World is Enduring Theirs. Um, And then I've called it at times um, The Good Way, Enjoying Your Children. And I think in your uh, conference books that um, a woman in our church made um, and put together, and I'm so grateful for her as well, um, we kept with the God's heart thing, God's heart for uh, the culture, God's heart for uh, uh, children, and it, that, that, so now it's like God's heart for children, and I'm grateful for that. Now, here's the thing. The next session is on discipline, which we will look at, and I used to wonder, should I teach that first or should I teach this one first? Because it's hard to enjoy undisciplined children. You don't want to, I mean, you don't enjoy brats. Nobody enjoys a brat. So my admonition to you that you can leave with today is don't raise a brat. <laughs> don't raise a brat. And they're all brats. When they're not brats as little tiny infants because they're so cute, but as soon as they can express themselves, there's, and I, when I use that term, I mean it in terms of the sin nature. They're sinful little creatures. And as soon as they can scream no at you, as soon as they can have all this madness because they didn't get their way, you say, oh, this child's a brat. And the, the scripture says a child left on his own brings shame to his mother. So if he goes his own way, he's not going to be very enjoyable. But I want to focus on in this session, again, a, a way of looking at children, a way of, um, of seeing them. And, you know, I was talking to Mariah and Melissa and Maureen, and, and we were talking about this very thing about enjoying your children, that it's hard to enjoy a child that's hard to manage. Now, the scripture says, Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God will not be dishonored. And we talked about that a little bit last night. But here's the thing. Christian women need to understand biblical love. So often we think that, of course, women love their children. But we have to understand and be taught biblical love. And it's different from the natural instinctive love that all mothers possess to some degree. We're made in God's image. And we saw a little bit of that last night, how we have attributes of our character that are innate because of who God is, even 
people who do not know the Lord, who are not Christians, they're still made in his image. And so there's qualities that they possess because they're made in the image of God. That's why people who do not even know the Lord can be good parents. They can be good citizens. They can be, and I mean by our world standards, they're like good people to have around. And that's because they're made in the image of God. And God knows that for a woman to be the kind of mother that honors him in her relationship with her children, she has to be taught biblical love. The natural instinctive love is so often uh, will lead, can lead us astray. You know, it's naturally protective. It enables us as women to understand our infant's cries. But if it's left unchecked, it will not properly train her child for adulthood. I mean, we all know the terms like mama bears, and we all know the women who will defend their children's bad behavior, and, and we all know the mothers who will um, do things that are very unbiblical, unbiblical for their children that really are going to train them to be bratty when they grow up, but it's out of a misdirected kind of love. And the natural instinctive love also is very responsive. You know, it's important for an infant to have a, a responding mother, a mother who is aware of their cries. And you know, when you have a new baby, you quickly learn your infant's cries. I mean, it's hard at first because it's a new experience for you. But then you learn, oh, the baby's crying because of this, or the baby's crying because of this, or you even understand their cries. Now, I know when we had our first baby, I remember the first time he cried. He was in his little bouncy seat, and Carl and I were eating dinner, and he was in his little bouncy seat, and we were just eating. And then he cried this blood-curdling cry like he was a, an abandoned child. And like he didn't know. It, I remember it broke my heart. It's like, what's the matter? You know, and I just quickly stopped eating, and I went, and Carl's like, what's wrong? And we're like both over him like, what's the matter? Or like at three months old, he could tell us. But it was that kind of cry that's like, we haven't abandoned you. We're here. But you, can, but you learn that you're able to, as you grow as a mom and as you have those older women in your life who help steady you, that's one of the things you see when the scripture says an older woman is to teach. One of the things she's to teach is a younger women to be sensible. And that carries the idea, in another translation, it says to be sober-minded. It carries the idea of helping women rein in their emotions, rein in their overreactions, to rein it in because the older woman who's grown in godliness and grown in her understanding of doctrine, she learns to rein in her emotions so she understands that reactive emotion, but she's able to help the young woman see it in a different way. And I think about it with myself one time because I, I, I just shared that story with you. And of course, this response of love, it so often is lacking in discern, discernment. It's so often very reactionary. So often it's very non-thinking. So often it is a, a, a response that is responds to feelings, reacts to feelings, what feels right. And it can lead to the dangerous side of overprotection. I told you last night, and I stake my life on this, we're supposed to protect our children. But there can be a dangerous side to that where we're, where we're smothering our children. And I don't mean literally smothering them. I just mean smothering them where they can't do, you know, do anything because we are so high control over them. But it can even lead a mother to defend her, a child's wrong behavior. But it's very reactionary. And I 
remember another time when, uh, and again, it was because you know your your firstborn's your practice baby. You know, <laughs> you know, you tell them like even my older children will say, you know, when we were. Jameson's age, or because he's a baby baby. Grant was my baby for five years, and then Jameson's my baby baby, but I still call them both my babies. But, um, but they used to say, well, you know, when we were that age, we didn't. Look what they get to do. I was like, well, y'all were, my th- y'all were the practice children. And, we, and, and we're, a lot, we're older now. We've, like, learned, we've learned some things. <laughs> but God is sovereign in all that, by the way, because parents who love the Lord, no matter how immature we are and no matter how we're seeing things at that time, if our heart is beating for the Lord and we're seeking his wisdom and we're walking with him, God uses it all, and he's over it all. So it's not like you have to worry about that kind of stuff. But that's another reason why we need older women who are growing in godliness that are will help the younger women with those kinds of things. And that's why, that's why the job is given to older women and not given to the men. This is a job that's for the women. So that's very important. But this time in my, my oldest child's life, we were visiting my parents, and he was a baby. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think he was about a year old. But we were pushing him in the stroller, and my niece, who was four years old at the time, um, we, we went for a walk in my parents' neighborhood. And it was, we were pushing, and, and my four-year-old niece wanted to push Jeremy in the stroller. And we're adults, we're with them, you know, so it's Carl and me, and, and then uh, my niece, and she's pushing Jeremy, and we're standing right there. But we're walking down these sidewalks, and then, you know how their sidewalks buckle, and then the wheel hits the buckle, the stroller goes all the way over like this, and my niece right on top of it on the sidewalk. I just about had a coronary. I was like, I mean, I just was so reactionary, and Carl's pulling the, he gets my niece off, he pulls the stroller off, pulls the stroller up, and we're looking at Jeremy, and he's got this big bloody face. And Carl, you know, takes him out of the, you know, unbuckles everything, and he scoops him in his arms, and he runs with him to my mom, mom's house, my mom and dad. My mom's a nurse, and, um, and I'm running behind them, and I'm just like bawling. Who cares about my four-year-old niece? <laughs> But I think, I think, I know my brother and his wife were there, so she was in good hands. <laughs> but I ran back to the house, get behind him, and when I got there, my mom already had Jeremy sitting on her lap, and she had her little nurse's kid out, and she was, you know, cleaning it all up, and I was like, oh, is he going to need stitches? He's going to need plastic surgery. I mean, I was so, I was so upset, and I was hysterical, and my mom handed Jeremy to Carl, and he was, and he, it was swollen, but it wasn't tragic, as I thought it was, and my mom just came over to me, and she put her arm around me, she said, he's going to be fine, and this is not the first scrape he's going to get, and she put her hands on my shoulders, she said, and you need to be fine, <laughs> I <was> like, okay, <laughs> you made me clean the closet so I can do this, <laughs> But that's what it's like. And we, ha- we have to have older women in our lives who can help steady us. That this is not going to be the first bloody nose and bloody mouth or cut or scrape or injury or even tragedy that we might face. 
And my mom knew what she was talking about because when my brother was 10 years old, he was hit by a car and was in the hospital for nine days unconscious and they didn't know if he was going to live or die. So she had learned how to handle these things. So a woman has to learn, you know, well, let me say this, you know, because we live in a, in a sinful world and because we have a sin nature, our view of children, especially our own, is tainted by the world's way of thinking. A woman has to learn to govern her natural affection. She needs a governor. She must base her love on what is right for her child from God's perspective and not her own. And she must learn to act on what God says is morally right rather than what feels right to her. And sometimes this means respecting her husband's discipline of the children, even when it seems unfair to her. And again, we're talking in the parameter of healthy discipline here. We're not talking about unhealthy discipline. A child can get over general unfairness, even if it is legitimately unfair, but it's difficult for a child to gain respect when he learns disrespect from his mother. And let me tell you something. If you're a woman who is constantly disrespecting your husband, and disrespecting men in general, and you're always fighting against him as your uh, husband and as the leader of your family and all that, don't be surprised that your children give you that same kind of disrespect because they're learning it from you. And the way God's order of authority is, is, you know, the husband's the head of the home, the wife is equal to him and she helps him in that. But if she's always doing this, and hating everything he says and does and undermining everything good advice he gives or good parenting that he does, then then the next thing is the children are going to do the same thing to you. It's just the way it works. And I've noticed in my life over the years, there's times when I'm like, what is up with these children? Why are they disrespecting me? And it's almost like I just, it's like it hits me, it hit me sometimes like a ton of bricks. I've been not a very good wife lately. And then I have to get my heart right with the Lord. Now let's move to three ways people view their children. Again, from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 21 says, set up for yourself road marks, place, place for yourself guideposts. And that's what we need. And so much of this weekend is about that, of guideposts, of seeing things from a different perspective. That's the other thing I was, I was talking to Maureen and Melissa and Mariah about is so much of what we cover this weekend is about a perspective switch because we just drink in what the culture tells us rather than like, wait a minute, my perspective needs to be adjusted. Now, one of the ways that people view their children is as belongings. Now, think about it. These are three Bs I'm going to give you. And, of course, your blanks are all filled in in your notebook, so you'll see those. But this can express itself in moms being more interested in how their children look on the outside, maybe having them in the best clothes uh, or whatever. You can, you can put any kind of thing in there. But more, it's more about how they look on the outside, how you present on the outside rather than building character into their children. More interested in how cute their rooms are, how well they're decorated. And again, with this explosion of social media and you see all this like, oh, if I just have all the best fixtures in the room and it just looks great, you know, we're more interested in that because my child's a belonging. It's a reflection of me. You know, going, and for so many children now, going to their rooms is not any kind of punishment anymore. Go to your room. Yes, I would love to go to my room. (laughs) Because the whole room, the whole world is there. 
And of course, you know, I'm not even saying that children's rooms shouldn't be cute. I like for rooms to be cute. I like to have, you know, cool stuff in there. So I'm, that none of that kind of stuff is, we're not talking about that those things are sinful in and of themselves, but they can become that way in terms of heart motives. But, so, but all that stuff in their rooms can quickly become a replacement for family interaction, for work, for study, for conversations around the table, for just being together, for riding in the car together. It's just like, no, off to ourselves. And so many moms, it seems, just are like, just want the kids out of their hair. So go, you know, go play on your phone. Go, you know, go do this, go do that. And of course, there's legitimate times because every child, just like every adult, needs their alone time. I get that. But we're talking about when these children are growing up, this is a time where we have to be investing in them, talking to them. And so often the need of the child, when they're ready to talk, you're like, that's the last thing you want to do. You know, it's always at night when my children were growing up and, and it was just like, you know, they're just ready to open up the world. And I remember at that time sometimes thinking, I am going to be, I'm going to open my eyes and listen because this is so incredibly important. Remember, it's a flash of time. It goes by so quickly. It's like that window is wide open when you have that baby. It's like, the, it's like open. And then as the years go by, it begins to close. It closes, it closes until it's shut. And when not all the way shut, because even when your children are adults, if you have a good relationship with them, they're going to still want to talk to you. They're going to sometimes want your advice. They're going to just call you out of the blue and, and talk to you. And sometimes when my kids call me, well, I, I should say all the time when they call me, but it's like, I will, unless I can't, I will set aside everything because they're calling me. And you better believe I'm going to talk to them and hear and, and listen to what they're saying because I, I love that. And so I'm just saying you have to think about that. I am the most important person in my children's life, at least up to their preschool years. Nobody even compares except mom and dad. Most important. And in those years, mom typically even tops dad. It's just in a, di you know, it's just kind of a different way. So soak it up. Know that. Instead, I was just like, oh, I just got to get these kids out of my hair. So don't view your child as a belonging. You know, you got to teach them the disciplines of life. And you don't want to raise a child who just, all, all, only thing that child can think about is himself or herself. You don't want to raise a child who is lazy, who doesn't know how to work, who doesn't know that things come as a result of sweat and hard work. It's also in this, in ch seeing children as belong, is kind of like they are appendages. Y'all remember the, the, uh, the movie Mary Poppins, I'm talking about in the 60s with Julie Andrews, that movie. You know, when you think about that movie, I saw it as a child, and you think mom is off doing her own thing. I mean, she's marching for women's rights, and isn't that what we're still doing? always marching for women's rights. I want to be heard. I want to be known. I want to be, I want to have fame. I want all this stuff. But she's marching and abandoning her children and her home. Dad's working as he should be, but he's totally detached from his children, which he shouldn't be. And the children have everything a child could want in the material realm. Think about it. I know probably everybody in this room has seen that movie. They have everything. Their rooms are, I mean, they just have everything a child could want, except the thing that those children wanted was their parents. And of course, 
The parents know the children need to be taken care of, so they put that advertisement, as the British say, advertisement out for a nanny. And the, you know, and, and the children come up with their list. Remember they come in there and they sing their list, she must be this, she must be that, all that stuff. And then Mary Poppins shows up. But it's kind of like where we are, so, so many families, couples want children as an accomplishment as something else to have. That's why we see this trend with so many women who they're not married because they don't need a man. They, want, they choose to be single mothers. I'm not talking about women who are single mothers and it, it wasn't like they set out for that to happen. But they choose to be single mothers. They go to sperm banks or whatever it is they do because it's like, there's just something else I want. You know, I've had this, I've had that. Now I need a child. An accomplishment, something to set up on a shelf, something else that I have, or framed along with my diplomas and my trophies. You know, it's, it's just a sad day we're in. I need to have this for my own fulfillment. And then, of course, even once they get those, now I've got to arrange to have the nanny. I have the baby. It's my baby, but I'm not going to have anything to do with raising this baby. It's not going to bother me. I'm going to have someone else do it. And God's way is so different. No, children are not your belongings. God wants us to have children because he wants us to raise a responsible, godly heritage for future generations. Now, the second way we view children is so often as a burden. And maybe we wanted our children for all the right reasons, and we have them, but it's, it's a common attitude even among Christians. You know, I mentioned a little bit last night about how moms just spend so much of their time complaining about how hard it is to be a mom. And here's the thing. Everyone does love a cuddly little baby. It's like, oh, sweet, cuddly little bundle of joy. But then that baby wakes up in the middle of the night when I want to sleep and he needs me. That baby grows and demands things from me. Or he sticks his finger all the way down in my tube of lipstick and comes out. This actually happened to me. And, you know, I'm holding him. This was my son, Grant. And I'm holding him, and he just, like, I'm talking to my friend because we were down on Bay Street. We were walking. And he's, he pull, you know, sticks in his thumb and pulls out a plum. He sticked in his hand and pulled out my tube of lipstick, and his finger was in the tube of lipstick. And I'm talking. I don't even notice this at first. And then it's just like, I look over at him, I was like, what's this stuff all over his face? <laughs> and it was my lipstick. He said, I don't remember, but he said in his baby way, look, I'm just saying, mess, it, mess up that whole tube of lipstick, or the baby messes up my dress, or like, I just always smell like spit up. It's my new perfume. You know, <laughs> that baby wants me to read, and I don't want to read right now. He wants me to focus on someone other than myself. So it quickly becomes a burden in my mindset. You know, like I'm walking around with a ball and a chain. I can't even go take, go to the bathroom without these children like putting their hands under the door. <laughs> so what a burden. I don't have any time to myself. I need a break. I'm sick of talking to children. Then I start to daydream about when the kids grow up. You know, when the kids grow up, then I'm going to have all this time. And then I begin to live in the future 
or I start longing for the past. Oh, my college days, weren't those the best? I had no, you know, I was just living off my parents' dime. Only thing I had to do was go to class. You know, or we long for the teenage years or some old love or time when we were just footloose and fancy free. And we wonder, well, what did I get myself into? Complain, complain, complain. Complain, complain, complain. And you know, there was a time too, when I was very pregnant with that, my first baby. And Carl and I went to a Christmas party. This is when he was uh, the director for Campus Crusade at Duke. And we went to a Christmas party for all the ministerial staff. And the wife of another campus pastor, he was a head of a, a different evangelical group on the campus. She was the mother of three. She was probably about 10 years ahead of me, <clears throat> I'm assuming, <clears throat> maybe a little more. But, you know, my belly's out to here, and I gained a ton of weight with Jeremy. But my belly was out to here because he was born on December 24th. And, uh, and then I just remember her saying to me, I'm glad it's you and not me. I'm done with having children. Three's enough. Now, let me say this. Let me caveat this. I know she loved her children, and I know she was probably a great mom to her kids. I didn't know her real personally. But I do remember thinking, here I am, this new mom, and I was so discouraged by what she said because she didn't stop there. She went on and told me the woes of mother. Oh, you'll never get your sleep back, and this and that. And, she, and I don't know what her motivation was. I don't know. I don't even want to judge her, but this is an event that happened. And sometimes things happen at certain times in your life, and they, they make an impression on you. But because God used it for good, because I thought even in that moment, I hope, it, I hope I love being a mom. And Lord, please don't let it be like this for me. And when I'm older, I don't want to have that perspective. I need your help. It's always the thing, I need your help, Lord. Older women likewise. Encourage the young women, what? To love their children. Yes, be honest. Oh, it's, you know, you might have some struggles in the beginning. Feel free to call me. I can help you with some of that. I want to help you with your perspective. Is there anything you need? That would have been a good way. That would have been great. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, the Bible says. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Then that brings us to the third way, and this is the correct way. This is what the Bible says, children is blessings. And again, it has to be taught because we just drift along with the culture and we, ha we view them as belongings. We view them as burdens. We just, you know, we always go to the lowest common denominator. We have to keep ourselves focused. We have to bring ourselves back to the truth of God's word. We have to keep focused. So it's taught. So an attitude about having children needs to be taught. And y'all, it is a God-given desire for a woman to want children we all know that obviously God doesn't give everyone children. We know that. Sometimes it's just according to his plan, and we don't always understand his plan, but that's usually the exception. You know, God, it, it's, it's normative. I mean, think as you're a little girl growing up. I know for me, at least, it was like I played with dolls all the time, and I would just look forward to the day when I would one day be a mother of babies. 
And just as, you know, and the other God-given longing, it is, a, it is a God-given longing to want to be married. And we also know that God sets aside people to be single. And all of us are single for periods of time, whether we are single a long time, then we get married, and then maybe we become widows or, or whatever happens in our lives. But all of us have to learn to govern ourselves in our single years. And we have to trust God with all of those areas of our lives, we don't know what God has for us, but we trust him with that. We tr- and that's one of the things you have to teach and train your daughters as they're growing up. Of course, it's a natural God-given longing for you to get married, and you probably will. So let's commit that to the Lord. And let's, let me teach you what it means to be a biblical woman, what the Bible says about womanhood, so that you learn to trust him now. So that should God, then you'll, you'll even know how to respond to the right kind of man. I want to help you not, uh, help you learn how not to respond to the wrong kind of man. How you know, you want to guide and help your daughters with that. You don't suddenly try to help them with that when they're marriageable age. That needs to be something that you're teaching them as they're growing up. And we have to help them too with babies when they're like, you know, I hope one day to be a a wife and a mom. Well, if God has that in his plan for you, let's start praying for that now. And let me help you with that. Let me talk to you about that. Let me tell you how you're such a blessing in my life. I'm so glad God gave me. I mean, my son Jordan one time said, are you glad God gave you a Jordan? And I said, Yes, and I still use that phrase today. I'm so glad God gave me a Jordan. But, and I'm also glad God gave me a Jeremy. God gave me a Grey Santa. God gave me a Grant. God gave me a Jameson. And your children need to know that. They are blessings from the time they are born. I don't know what my life would be like without you, sweetheart, son. I'm so thankful I have you. And I'm going to do my very best to raise you according to God's standards. You know what that means sometimes, daughter? You know what that means sometimes, son? Sometimes you're going to hate me if I'm doing it right. One of my sons one time told me he hated me when I spanked him. And I said, well, that's probably, you need to probably hate me then. I mean, I hated my mom. I told him. I said, well, you know what? I hated my mom when she spanked me too. He was like, he said, well, did you think she was evil? I said, no, I don't think I thought that. (laughs) But that will happen as you're raising your children. But your children need to, you need to be communicating this perspective to them. And uh, and it's all about trusting. You know, I know you want to get married one day and have babies. Or I know you want to have a wife one day. But if God doesn't do that, how are we going to live? We still need to understand all these things from Scripture. And I want to remind you, too, that infertility can happen at any time. You know, women just think, I'm just going to do, I'm going to plan my life, and when I'm ready, I'll pop out some babies. It doesn't always happen that way. You know, you think you're just going to have babies on your time schedule. But God, you know, we have to trust him with these kinds of things. And in our culture, married, even married, believing women are made to feel guilty for even wanting children in the first place. Or wanting to add to their family by having another child. You know, in 1 Timothy, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Another way it's said in one one translation is, Who shall be saved through the bearing of children. We know that having children is not what saves us. That's not what he's talking about here. He's just talking about the special role that God has given women. 
Only women can have babies. I don't care what our upside down culture is telling us. Only women can have babies. Real women. Not pretend women. Real women. And he's just saying that's one of the ways that God sets them apart. They're preserved that way because it's such a high and holy calling. As I keep saying over and over and over, a mother's the most important person in her little baby's life, in her toddler's life. This is such a special role. Do you see why the enemy of our souls wants to rip that away? Why he wants to distract these women? No, it's more important to act like a man. It's more important to be the man. It's more important to have all the, do all this other stuff. He hates you. He hates your special role in the lives of children. He wants the next generation of children. He's always wanted them. He knows how important it is to get their minds and their hearts. So yeah, he'll distract the good Christian lady. They're such a pain, your kids. Have someone else raise them. You know, it's just anybody can change diapers. You don't need to be changing those diapers. You know how much you, you get into your children's life? They might not even understand it or know it. But God does so much as you're talking to your little baby as you're changing that baby's diaper. It's important. Jesus was a baby like that. Mary, the mother of Jesus, mothered him and changed his diapers and talked to him, the Savior of the world. That alone should speak volumes to us as Christian women. Just that alone that God chose this way to bring the Savior of the world into the world. And a lot of that, you know, you think how women, women are so often blamed for the fall. Now, we know the Bible blames Adam for the fall. They're in it together, you know. But God lays it at the feet of Adam because he was, he's the leader. He's the protector. You know, and that's what's so sad when men let the women run the show. God holds the women accountable, but he also holds the men accountable because they're just being wimpy. They're not. They're afraid of the ladies. Don't want to make the ladies mad at us. Don't want the women mad. So, yeah, we'll let them have what they want. God is saying here it's so, such a special role. And then he says, if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Because it comes with that caveat. It's such a high holy calling. It's such a blessing. But ladies, we got to continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint and take this job seriously. And it's hard to take it seriously for so many women because nobody cares. The world doesn't come in and say, you know, you're just so awesome. It's so, I love the way you like, to, you know, that you broke up that fight with your kids. I love the way you came in and you, you, you were so tired and you read 10 books out of your tiredness and you interacted with your child the whole way. I love the way you poured over that math problem. I love the way you got on your knees and ate the carpet praying for this child who wasn't understanding something or you wailed for God's intervention over an issue with your children. Nobody cares. So therefore, we're tempted not to care and to think it's not that important. And then in another passage, he says, and it's in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and he's talking about, it's in the context of, of Paul telling Timothy that older women who don't have anybody to take care of them put him on the list of what they can to be pr provided for by the church, and there, there is a special place for older women to serve and he says, I don't want you to put young women on the list, young widows. No, no, they don't need to be on the list. One, one, and some of the reason is just like, it's kind of an immature time in their lives. They're not ready. They, they need more time to grow. I mean, I'm so paraphrasing, but you can go read it for yourself. But he does say, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give, so to give the enemy no occasion for reproach. 
He's trying to protect the young women. They don't need to be in this position where, you know, they're hearing a lot of stuff about what's going on in people's lives because they can go around and they can talk about it and they can gossip because they still learn to, they still need to learn uh, to be taught to be steadied, to refrain that mouth. A wise woman restrains her lips, the scripture says. And by the way, you can always say more, but you can never take back what you said. So keep that in mind, ladies, when you're just... And so that's, what, that's the context of that passage. And then, of course, Psalm 127, I already mentioned it. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. So it's a God-given desire. And, of course, I'll say a word here about the, the issue about how many children I have. Y'all, that's just a personal issue. It's between a husband, a wife, and their God. You know, and, and so, therefore, if you're, if you're around a young couple, and let's say they've been married five years, you don't know what's going on. Maybe, maybe they are being selfish and they don't want kids. I don't know. Or maybe they can have kids, and they're on their knees all the time praying about it, and they want God to open the womb. It's not our business to walk around pointing our fingers at people and judging them. It's just that as they take that to the Lord and they don't follow the world's pattern of being this selfish people, we want to pray for our Christian women not to be like these selfish people are just saying, I'm going to do it my way and I've decided I'm going to have two and a half children because that's what the world says is the average. I don't know if that's changed. I know you can't have a half a child. I'm just saying the statistics. (laughs) But they are deciding on their own. No, you don't decide on your own. You get on your knees and ask the Lord. And remember, don't take your fertility for granted. There comes a time when you won't be able to have children. So that's a personal one. And the issue there is, who are you listening to? Where are you getting your values from? And I encourage you to, I want to give you some passages, what I like to call replacement thinking. I mean, the Bible, all throughout the Bible, you see this. God is so kind, and he's so gracious in his word. So often when he gives negative commands, he doesn't just say, don't do this. Then he gives you, do this instead. Like, you know, don't, don't be filled with malice and envy and strife. Instead, put on a heart of love, compassion, humility. It's like he doesn't want us to have this vacuum that just anything can fill up. No, he tells you, don't do this, do this. You remember even when he's rebuking the disciples about the children, he said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. Don't hinder the children. Let them come. He's like this, these polar opposites. Don't want you to hinder those children. Okay, we won't hinder them. We'll just stand there. No, welcome them. Let them come. Romans 12, 1 to 2. I know I've read the, the verse 2 many times, but the first 1 says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I mean, there's the positive command. And here's the negative. And do not be conformed to this world. And now here's the positive command. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why should we do this? That you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. You're not going to know the will of God if you're letting your mind, your mind being shaped by the world. Because you're just going to drift with the culture. You're just going to accept whatever the doctor so-and-so say. Whatever the huge influencers say. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 10. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. And when he says, if then you have been raised, he's saying since you have. If you're a believer, you have been. He's using it in that term. You've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. And even that is so active. He says, keep seeking. Number one, seeking the things above is very active. It's not like we just don't sit there. 
We're seeking the things above. And then he says, keep on doing it. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. Again, it's so active because where does our minds go? It always goes to the bottom of the barrel. It always goes to the lowest common denominator. It always sinks to the bottom of the pond. He says, set your minds on things above Set it there. He says, not on the things of, that are on earth, not on all this worldly thinking. He's, and then he says the reason, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I mean, just think about that for a second. If you know the Lord, your life is hidden with Christ in God. What safer place could you be? There's no safer place. When Christ, who is our life, he's our very life, y'all, when he's revealed, then you all will also be revealed with him in glory. And he's talking about the future. I mean, you know, when you see him face to face, you know, now we see in part, we see through a mirror dimly, but then we will know him fully just as we also have been fully known. You think about everyone that you've loved who've known the Lord and they're with the Lord. They know him fully. They're, they're better than we are. Because they've been full, and you're fully known by God, and you know God, and hopefully, if you're like me, you want to keep getting to know him better and better and better until God takes you home. But then when he does take you home, you're going to know him fully. That's what he says here. He's our life. Therefore, and then he's, so then he's given reasons. We're still on this earth. How am I supposed to live? Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, dead to immorality. How many Christians don't live as if they're dead to immorality? In fact, they kind of enjoy immorality. Impurity, he says, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Again, those are all the negative things. You got to consider them dead. And then verse 6, he says, for it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. There it is, y'all. And it's all over the Bible. The wrath of God is coming. Now, I know nobody likes to talk about that anymore. They don't like to talk about people going to hell. They don't like to talk about that God's angry. He is at sin. But he's not at you if you know him. Because that's why he sent Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish. Because they will perish. Without Christ, they'll perish. And he says, the wrath of God will come because of these things. This is the, just the, the outworking of all of the evil that is in man's heart without Christ. And then he reminds believers. You know how sometimes we come to Christ and then we start like pointing the finger at all these people who live this way. And we should because we want them to repent. It should be from a heart of compassion. Verse 7, and in them, he reminds us, you also once walked when you were living in them. We were all living in them. I mean, I came to Christ when I was a very young child, and I'm so grateful that God in his mercy saved me and, and in his sovereignty kept me from, I mean, I sinned plenty as a believer, trust me. But I'm just saying that I'm thankful because all of us in this room have the potential to do everything that's evil, potential. It's God in his kindness and his grace that keeps us from doing those things. And then he reminds, says, says in verse 8, but now you also put them all aside. Negative again. And then he, lists, he gives us another huge list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And then he says, do not lie to one another. Why? He says, you've laid aside the old self with his evil practices. 
That's gone. You're dead to that. And then here's the positive. And have put on the new self. Because if you've come to Christ, you see everything brand new. Think about the time when God saved you. Wasn't it like the blinders came off? You saw people differently. You saw yourself differently. You saw your sin differently. You wept over things that you used to enjoy doing. Why? Because God saved you. And, he, and you put on the new self. And then what's the new self supposed? What's supposed to happen to that new self? He tells us in verse 10, is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So that's again gives us that picture of like the Christian life. We keep seeking the things above. We keep looking to the Lord. We keep setting our minds on things above. We keep being renewed every day. I want to learn more about you, Lord. Renew my heart. Renew my mind. So he says in Romans, that, that verse 2 of chapter 12, be renewed. And what will we be renewed to? A true knowledge, not the knowledge of the world. We'll just sink to that. It has to be a conscious effort to get away from that. And, and then he says, according to the image of the one who created him. We looked at that last night. We're created in God's image. We're supposed to live up to that image as much as we can in our sinfulness, but trusting God moment by moment, day by day, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit and living that out. And God's the one who does that. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about four principles for your children. Now God chose them. Ephesians 4, he chose to create them. He chose to bring them into your life. And I love the verse in Ephesians chapter 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all in all. I mean, think about this as you're raising your children. I already told you to talk to them and tell them that they're blessings. And you're so thankful for them. But also tell them, you know, God chose to make you. It's not just that I'm grateful that you're here. But God in his sovereignty you were a thought in his heart ever before you were a baby in my womb. God brought you here. That is significant. Your children need to understand that. That's why they need to know Genesis 1, 2, and 3. They need to know what God had in his heart and his mind when he created the world, when he created them, when he created people, what he wanted to do through all of that. They need to know how sin affected that. They need to know that we brought these things on ourselves. As we say, why is there so much suffering in the world? That's because of sin. Man did that. So you you, but you want to teach your children this. <clears throat> and the enemy does not want you to teach your children this. He wants you to be just a complaining mother who just sees them as burdens. God wants a, you to have a different perspective. And God created them. That's another thing. That's what you're telling them. He chose to create them. He did create them. And he did this for his glory. That's when you're teaching them the foundations and why God created them. And he created you with purpose. He created you because he has something in his heart, in his mind for you to be at this particular time, the year you were born, when you would be an adult. However many years or months he gives you to live, he created you for his glory. And then have your children learn Psalm 139. Memorize it yourself. Have your children memorize it when they're so young. Y'all, and it's easy to memorize when they're young. I'm still amazed at my grandchildren, like how fast they memorize scripture. So have them do that. Y'all, they'll be memorizing lots of poems and stuff like that in school. But have them learn the word of God. They can never get away from it. 
Because God is faithful and his word never returns void. Even if they walk away for a while or even if they try to kick against it for a while, they can't get it out of their heads. And God will bring it to their minds in times when you have no idea of what, how God is working behind the scenes. But you have them memorize that and then you teach it to them as, as they're memorizing it. You walk through every verse because they'll listen to you when they're little. And you can get really fun with this when they're little toddlers. I mean, they're not going to laugh at you. They'll laugh at you in a fun way if you're like being stupid in terms of dancing around. And, you know, they will like that and they'll learn it. And if you can put it to music and some of these scripture songs that are put to music. I mean, think about how all the children know. Let it go, let it go. And they know all the words to whatever the movies are. They sing it, it belted out at the top of their lungs. Why? Number one, because they're young. Number two, because they've heard it so much. Do that with the word of God. Let that take precedence over these other things, over the worldly music, over the other stuff. You know, I mean, some of those things, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not even saying that a lot wrong with a lot of it, so I won't get there, go there. But make it the priority that they learn the word of God to music. And that's why I love, you know, when we sing songs that are so rich in theology and that the tunes are great and they're not just all these repetitive choruses, but they're rich in theology and you learn them and that's what you find that you're like, that comes to your mind and you're just kind of singing it. Sometimes God brings it to your mind when you need it. But you know, you help them learn this passage and you teach it to them. Even the, even the beginning is so good for them to know that, you know, God knows your thoughts before you say them. He knows your thoughts even if you choose not to say them. He knows exactly what you're thinking. Mom may not know. Did you think she was evil too? But God knows. <laughs> Even before there is a word on my tongue, the Lord knows it. And he's enclosed you behind him before. He's always with you. He's with you at night when you're scared of the dark. You know, God, the darkness is not dark to him. It's light to him. He sees you. He knows you. You, you help them learn these things. The third thing is God wants to redeem them. Teach them what redemption means. And I meant to bring the book Dogger. So you can write this down. There's a book, the title of it is Dogger. And it's by a woman named Shirley Hughes. All of her books are absolutely wonderful. In fact, she died not too long ago in her 90s. But this book, Dogger, I first came across her when my children were little because I took them to the library all the time. I checked it out of the library. <clears throat> And I read it to them. It's such a beautiful picture of redemption. You just see redemption through it. It's a little, little boy who lost his favorite toy dog. Or a dogger's a little stuffed toy dog. And then it ends up, he loses it, and then it ends up on a uh, fair. And he's there looking for it everywhere. He's just frantic because he's lost this little dog. And then it ends up when they're at the, the county fair, and it, he sees it on this table. And it has a price tag now on it. And he like, he's like, oh, that's my dog. So he runs. He's trying to find people because he wants to buy this little dog back. And he finds his sister, Bella. And she's like, always winning things is the way she writes the story. Like, and she's like, his sister, she's always winning things. And she had this, you know, she had this big stuffed teddy bear. And he's, 
he finds that, and then he sees this little girl that has bought his little dogger. And so Bella approaches the little girl and just says, hey, you know, they were talking about that, but she offers her big stuffed teddy bear for dogger. And so so Dave gets dogger back. And then, of course, the book ends with, with they're in bed, you know, they're in their beds, and Bella's like, I think she's doing somersaults, if I remember correctly, or something. And, and Dave says, Do you, were you going to miss that big teddy? He says, no, his eyes, his eyes were too staring, and I have plenty. But the, the story is so wonderful. The ch- children love it. And, you know, a good children's book is always one that adults enjoy, too. It's so wonderful. And, you, and, and when you read that story to your children who will be captivated by it when they're young, you say, this is such a beautiful picture of redemption. Because, you know, that's what God did. We, we sinned and we're lost. But God bought us back with his very own blood because he wanted to redeem us. That's why he sent Christ into the world. So you teach them that. And if your mind is filled with God's word and you understand these things, you'll see things that way. It's not something like, oh, yeah, i got to create that scenario. God will do that. It's like daily manna from heaven. That's how he provided for the Israelites. Like, oh, I don't know the Bible that well. I don't know this that well. God does. He wrote it. And then as you are mothering and carrying out these tasks with your little ones, you're saying, I don't know how to deal with this. It's like God just gives you manna. And that's assuming that you're spending time in his word. And what you'll find so often is the very passage that you listened to or read that morning before your feet hit the floor is something your children are going to ask you about later in the day. Or it's going to be a teaching moment or something that you'll see. That's just the way God works. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then, of course, I've already talked about this, but they're created with a purpose. Jeremiah 1, verses 4 to 10, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And this is his specific word to Jeremiah. But you see the per- how personal the Lord is. And then I... then. I said, meaning Jeremiah, alas, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm a youth. The Lord said to him, don't say I'm a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them. He's saying, don't be afraid of these people. Why? Because I'm with you to deliver you. And you teach your children this, that God's always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews tells us. And then the Lord stretched out his hand and he touched Jeremiah's mouth. And he said to him, behold, I put my words in your mouth. God will do the same for you. And you know how he puts his words in your mouth? His, his word, his Bible, the Bible. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Because he wants to use you to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant, to make a difference in this world, starting with your own children. Psalm 78, I mentioned it last night, inclined, uh, but I love it because it's looking to the future, to the generations yet to come. You can read it later, but I love verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel when, when, when she commanded to our fathers that they should teach them to their children that the generations to come might know even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. Long past your life on this earth. 
And this is what they're supposed to tell, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. He's telling them this because he wants them to be different. And maybe you came from a generation of parents and grandparents who didn't walk with God, who didn't follow the Lord, who just weren't believers, or maybe they were even hostile. And you're a first-generation Christian. Think about the difference of your ch- for, for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-great-grandchildren and all the children yet to be born because you took it seriously and you didn't forsake the Lord. And then get on your knees and thank God that he saved you. It wasn't through your parents. It wasn't through anybody as you were growing up sharing the gospel. But God took note of you. And he got the gospel to you. And you responded. And you believed. He opened up your dead heart, dead in your sins and all your transgressions. And he brought you into his family. And now he's given you a family to teach these truths to. Another psalm is Psalm 128. Now I'm going to just quickly walk through there all your blanks are filled in but I'll just quickly walk through some of this um, practical everyday stuff newborn babies newborns and babies remember the r word and the r word is just relax 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 so what if your sleep is interrupted at first I mean it's going to be just embrace it you know smile about it say yeah this is like you know some of those nights when that when I didn't know a whole lot or know better it was just like and Jeremy would be awake in the middle of the night. And I would just like gaze into his face. It's like, look at his little eyes. Look at him looking at me. I didn't really even think about it. And I didn't have more children. To, at that time, it was just one. But I just remember savoring those moments when no one else could soothe him but me. You know, I, I don't know. I just did. And I did it with the other ones too. I mean, because they're all like, it's just so, it's just new with your first one. But it's new in a different way with each one after that. Remember who chose you to be a mother. You are your child's best mother. I told you that last night. If the Lord had wanted someone else to be your, bed or, uh, your baby's mother, he would have chosen someone else. And that's why you pray for all these moms who are going off the rails. <sighs> Rescue. We have to be in this mindset of rescuing. Remember that God is in control. I mean, God, the Bible gives lots of principles in his word to guide us. You know, sometimes we say, oh, I just wish there was like, you know, uh, 10 things. And if I do these 10 things as a new mom and as a parent and as I raise my children, everything's going to be great. He doesn't do that. Sometimes I think the reason he doesn't do that in his word is, you know what he wants to do? He wants to develop your heart. He wants you to have intimacy with him. He wants to grow you in your understanding. He wants you to flesh out the principles of his word as you train and teach your children. I mean, you know, a lot of moms get all messed up and prideful about how they keep their home, if their children are on a schedule, or, you know, they get in these stupid arguments, uh, carrying your baby in a sling, or whether or not you, that you should have them in a playpen or in baby jail. So. <laughs> I just always remember my daughter when Patrick was little and she, and I did this, I had a playpen. She just playfully called it baby jail because it really is. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> but I had a playpen and sometime a baby was being ridiculous 
and it wasn't time for a nap and, or whatever. They're just being ridiculous and getting into the other kids' stuff and breaking things, and you're getting in baby jail. You just, I put, I put mine in the playpen and said, there you're going to stay. And I didn't, and sometimes I did that even when they, they're in the living room and they could yell their heads off. And I said, it's okay if he's yelling his head, heads off. Now I wouldn't have done that with Jeremy, you know, because he's my first and I didn't want him to yell his head off. <laughs> but I learned that it's okay if they yell their heads off sometime and not get their way. And then if they're going to be ridiculous, you take that playpen and you go put it in a room and close the door. <laughs> But I'm just saying, as long as your parenting style doesn't go against biblical principles, you're, it's okay. You know, and I would encourage you as young moms not to fret about the time and energy it takes to be a new mom. It just does. It's like anything. It's just a lot. I mean, like sometimes preparing for an event like this, I mean, I don't get much sleep. I'm like thinking about it. That's just part of it. I have to embrace that. You know, so that's that thing, you know, and, and I was telling a woman before we started today, because she was asking about sleep and all that stuff. There's times in your life when you are not going to get the sleep you want to get. That's just, that's just the way it is. And so you just say, okay, this is one of those times. And then you go to Psalm 127 say, and I've prayed this many times over the years. In fact, I prayed it last night. Lord, get, regardless of how many hours of sleep I get tonight, will you please give to me in my sleep? You know, that four hours, could you somehow in your sovereignty make it feel like eight? <laughs> Give to me in my sleep. Toddlers and preschoolers, remember the R word, relax. And then there's just some fun things. Play patty cake. Build blocks with them. Get on the floor and build the blocks with them. Make cookies with them. Play tag with them. Give all these hugs, read books to them, do chores. That's your job. It's not like, well, here's my job over here, and I just got to keep them entertained. No, this is your job. And then let you, them help you. Teach them how to do laundry as soon as you can. Help Teach them how to shop. And yes, it's so great to go to the grocery store when you have little ones by yourself sometimes. There's plenty of times I just enjoy that. Oh, it's just fun to grocery shop. <laughs> But if you change your mindset, okay, I'm taking all four or five or three in with me today. Okay, we got to have a game plan, kids. <laughs> and one time I remember sitting outside of the, it was Brookshire's when we lived in Texas, and I had Jeremy and Jordan and Grace Anna. And I said, I'd had those Harry and Days in there. It's like they're handling everything and open up a bag of M&Ms and it's spilling on the floor. It's like, I said, we're having a game plan. You guys are going in there and you're going to behave. Now, Grace Anna was a baby, so she's strapped in the front. She wasn't a boy. Boys, when they were strapped in the front, could still be a handful. <clears throat> and I know some girls can too, but Grace Anna was more docile when she was a baby. But I just said, you know, we're going in there, and you're not touching everything. You got that? And you're not, and then I, then I don't know. I just in my... I don't know. I just said, we're not doing, I want this, I want that, I want everything I see. And then that became their little mantra. Every time we went to the grocery store, they'd say, remember, we're not going to see, I want this, I want that, I want everything I see. And that helped them to, to not grab everything. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, let them help you and let them know. And I'm glad, you know, like some of those times I would say, I'm glad you're here with me, Dan. You know what? You can be my helper. Why don't you look for the Rotel tomatoes? 
Don't, but don't run ahead for me. Don't get on the five aisles over. We'll do it as we're walking down the aisles together. But those are just little things that you, because your mindset has changed. You're doing this, you're teaching them, you're training them, answer their questions, tell them the whys as they grow up, because young children are going to ask you questions. So embrace it, be their answerer. I love being the answerer, and I wanna be the answerer while I can be the answerer. While they want to know what I think about something, tell them while they're growing up. Welcome them into your home. And I know it's hard, by the way, when a child reaches about four, especially if, you know, they're very inquisitive because it's, it's a question a minute. And sometimes you do have to say, you know what? My, mind, my brain is kind of spent right now. <laughs> so I want you to write out all the questions on a piece of paper or draw the questions you want to ask me. And then we'll look at that later. You know, so there's times to put those boundaries, okay? I'm not saying like, run yourself ragged. Uh, number six, welcome them into your home. Again, I've already said that, but th- what I mean by that is just that I'm glad you're here. I'm glad God gave me a Jordan. I'm glad God gave me a Claire. I'm glad God gave me a Grace. I'm glad God gave me a Jane. I'm glad God gave me a Lois. I'm glad God gave me, I, I could keep going and it would take the rest of our time for me to say all my grandchildren's names. <clears throat> But just encourage them. I've already reminded you about the passage of Jesus saying, let the children come, don't hinder them. Just think about that with your own family. Adolescents, again, remember the R word, relax. Talk to them about things that interest them. Get into their world. Ask them questions and for their opinions on things. Well, what do you think about that? I mean, what do you think? Laugh at the endless jokes and riddles that they will discover for the first time, because trust me, it's not like, oh yeah, I know that. I've heard that ever since I was your age. No, laugh at it. That's hilarious. They love to tell it to you. It just pops their bubble for you to act like, well, that's an old one. Tell them stories about yourself when you were their age. I mean, children when they're little love that. I can't tell you how much my children was like, will you tell the story about when you stole the cheese? My grandchildren are like, will you tell? And sometimes they will ask me, and I say, well, you know, I already know that story. They'll say, I want to hear it again. And then sometimes they'll say, do you have any news stories? I said, well, I can make some up. <laughs> but they like that. And that's why you have that window when they love it. Do it. Take advantage of that. And, and you also can tell them with that is like, yeah, I was your age once, so I know all the tricks. I know what you're up to right now. Because let me tell you about a time when I tried to ma- manipulate my mom. Play games with them even when you don't feel like it. And there's plenty of times that you have to not do this. So just, that's, that's just here. We're not talking about, you know, that you're the energizer bunny, okay? But I'm saying for the most part, we need to be reminded to do these things. You know, tell them how much you love them. Tell them that all the time. You know, they love to hear it. I just love you. And if they say, I know, Mom, you told me that. It's okay. I get it. Then you can maybe just say it. You know, and be the authority in their lives. Don't relax in that area. Kids need authority. You're not their best friend when they're growing up. Now, hopefully you'll be friends when they get older, but you've got to be their authority and they respect you more because they need that stability. They need to know someone's in charge. They innately know that they shouldn't be in charge. Say what you mean and mean what you say. It's better to give and I mean, don't give so many rules that you're not going to enforce them because then it means nothing. You know, be, be less on the rules that you actually follow through with. 
and give them lots of hugs. Teenagers, remember the R word, relax. Don't listen to what the culture says about the teenagers. Find godly counsel if the teen years are already a mess in your home. There is hope. Serve lots of food. Discuss world events. Get into their world. Talk to them about all the issue, current issues that are going in because they need to get your perspective. Continue with the hugs and food. Respect their thoughts. I mean, and bake, cook the things they like. Obviously, when they're growing up little, you're teaching them. You're developing their palate. You're teaching them not to be complainers about the food and not to be picky eaters. But then they get to an age, it's like, I just love the green bean casserole you make, Mom. Make it. You know, they, there's a certain thing that they really like. Oh, I just love that sheet cake you make. Make it. And teach them to make those things too. And let them know, respect their thoughts. Let them know that they are a needed member of the family. Teenagers need to know this, that you need them. That they're not just a teenage subculture sitting around. You give them meaningful work. Help them get jobs, good jobs. You know, and, and sit them down sometimes and just share from your heart and in terms of their help around the house, you know, and just say, I can't run the house without you. I need your help here. You know, there's some things that you can do to help in, in the family. And also just a word of wisdom to y'all who might have teenagers and then you have little ones as well. Don't be careful about like your children absolutely need to help with the younger siblings, but don't turn them into parents. They're not the parents. You're the parent. Don't have them doing things that you should be doing. Just be careful about that. Seek the Lord about that. You know, they're growing into young adults. They're not growing in to be cloned and stuck to you their entire lives. You want to help them transition, and these are the transitional years. And then adult children. All my children are adults now. And of course, I am an adult child. Again, remember the R word. You respect your adult children as the authority of their own children. Affirm them as a family. Don't interfere in what they're doing. Butt out. You know, let them know that you are available and you're there and you want to help and you want to invest in your grandchildren. But don't meddle. And then when they ask you for things, and they'll ask you more if you're not a meddling person, Offer the advice if they're asking for your opinion, but then remember that it's only advice. They don't have to obey you. They obey you when they're little, but then they honor you when they're older. They're their own family unit, and you need, if you've got grown sons, you respect them as the leaders that God's created them to be. Hopefully, that's what you've been, you and your husband have been training them to be, leaders. And then you'll be, you think about Mary, the mother of Jesus again, she raised him as a baby, and at 12, you know, when he like is left behind in the temple and she's frantic over that, you know, it was a different role. And, he, and the scripture says she, he went and continued to be in subjection to his parents. But then when he was an adult, he's, his, he's her savior. She's listening to him. She's doing, she knows he's over her. So you'd raise your sons to be that way. And you respect them that way. Yes, they're all, and I still call my sons my babies. They know what I mean by that. I mean, and I look in their faces, even as a 41-year-old and a 39-year-old and, you know, as a 34-year-old and as a 29-year-old. <laughs> and I'm like, I still see the little chubby baby faces, but I also see the grown men that I respect. And you come alongside and you offer help. 
if they need it, but you wait for them. You admit your failures, and there'll be time, you'll just, you know, and sometimes you might even ask them, is there anything I need to apologize for that maybe I didn't know I did against you? You don't have to grovel, but just be aware of that. If you need to ask for forgiveness, do it, and keep giving them hugs, and you pray for them, and you keep developing in your own walk with God, and you let them know that you're proud of them. We all know how adult children, even you as an adult, want your parents to be proud of you. So you let them know that. Father, I thank you for this session. I know we went over. But I thank you for all the truths that you've reminded me of, and I pray you use it in these women's lives. In Jesus' name. If you enjoyed this episode of Rare But Real, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. And share this podcast with friends. Follow Audrey on Instagram and Facebook at Mothering From The Heart. And listen to all her messages on the Search the Scriptures app.